Hello, everybody. Before we get into this week's episode, Pablo and Foxy here. Uh, we heard right after we recorded uh, this week's episode that uh, the one and only Kamala, a.k.a. James Harris, uh, he actually passed away. And uh, we wanted to acknowledge it because this week's episode with uh, Invasion of the Body Slammers is very Kamala heavy. He co-hosts the video. He has a couple of matches on the video and we have fun talking about him, uh, you know, because, you know, some of the things he did as Kamala, especially as a face, were a bit silly. I think he would be the first to admit that bowling with Kamala, etc. So we do have fun with it, uh, but it's entirely out of love. Uh, we are both huge fans of Kamala, aren't we? We really, really are. And uh, both, I think it's fair to say, absolutely devastated as much like the rest of the wrestling community who poured the hearts out to say, rest in peace to the big man. It's 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 a horror. It's never nice when an idol that you watch growing up, you can call him an idol because he's been part of a lot of the wrestling that we watched growing up. I think it's fair to do that. And it's such a tragic time whenever you lose anybody that you, you've got very fond memories of. It's not not pleasant at all. And as you said yourself there, Pablo, you know, we we stopped recording and it was in within about three hours the news kind of started circulating and and getting out there on social media that it had passed away, unfortunately. Big massive shame, gonna be a huge loss. And um obviously as well, it's worth pointing out at this stage, as we will put in our description beneath and things, the link to a, a GoFundMe page that's been set up for Kamala to help his family raise funds for the for the funeral expenses and things of that nature because it's no secret that he went through quite a hard time financially uh, as well as with his health and I believe that his um, his partner had actually stopped working to be able to care for him from what I mm. understand so there wasn't a huge amount of, of money coming into the household so yes there's a GoFundMe page set up Please acknowledge the link, and if you can, if you're in a position where you can share a, a quid, a dollar, whatever it may be, um, if you're in that position, then I'm sure you know his family would massively appreciate the fact that his fans are helping out. As sure their appreciation and love and gratitude for the the years of entertainment that he's brought to us all. Absolutely, and also visit W O W H Publishing. Uh, where you can find copies of Kamala's biography. Now, there are signed versions on there as well. And uh, I know that, uh, uh, you know, as co-author of the book, uh, James Harris, I guess his family now will receive a portion of sales from that book as well. And it's a well worth a read. Um, so, yeah, two links at the bottom of the show for you to check out. So, uh, once again, huge uh, respect and uh, he, it's someone who will be hugely missed, someone from my childhood, from all of our childhoods, who kind of stuck with this. One of the most successful gimmicks and one of the most successful longevity-wise in wrestling history, Kamala, James Harris, rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> and welcome to another edition of Co-Video 1990s. See, I'm, I'm learning how to say this not in the pun sense of the word. It's just going to roll off the tongue <laughs> Roll off the tongue now, you see. Um, I am Pablo, and with me is the bowling ball to my Kamala's fingers. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I'm going to put that in a Valentine's card next year. Um, it's Foxy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right, yeah. I don't know how I would take that. If somebody sent you a Valentine's card saying, you are the bowling ball holes to my Ugandan <laughs> giant fingers. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say yes. <laughs> I'd have to think about it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all context, isn't it? Like, make a Valentine's Day card out of the Invasion of the Body Slammers uh, video cover. That'll do it. That'll do it for anyone. Now you're wooing me. (laughs) So if you haven't guessed, uh, we are reviewing Battle of the Supersons. No, we're not. We're we're reviewing Invasion of the Body Slammers. Yay! We Um, are indeed. We are indeed. Which is a bit of a play on the words from the old-fashioned... Uh, sci-fi flicks invasion of the body snatchers um so we've convinced ourselves but it, <laughs> it makes sense that it is yeah um, I've, I've been calling it like invasion of the daft lads and invasion of the fatties and you know just all sorts of whatever what, what you need to do to keep yourself entertained yes yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean there's a pandemic on you know what i mean like apparently to... there is apparently it's still going <laughs> So strong. So before we get into that though, uh, how has your week been with BBG? What you been up to? It's it's been canny, pet. It's been all right. Yeah, we've oh, yeah, um, yeah. we've been uh, planning some bits and bobs for an upcoming show that's starting soon. Well, Stephen, who uh, people might know, has been doing some reviews with me for Fight uh, in regards to the GCW shows. We're about to launch a new show pretty soon, which is going to be uh, a focus on specific elements to do with the history of the WCW Cruiserweight division. But it's going to be quite interesting the way that we're going to do it. It's not going to be a typical review of matches and this, that, and the other in, in sort of like a, in a chronological order because that's obviously been done and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's going to be more specific to do with certain feuds and matches and where certain characters went and why they went there and the link up on special edition shows to do with the ECW run of things and the WWF lies heavyweight running um, that was coinciding time-wise with with uh, the Cruiserweight division. So it's going to be lots of interesting things. So that's currently being um, planned and penciled at the moment for upcoming launches. So, yeah, quite fun. I'm excited about that. Um, I mean, you didn't ask, but I'll tell you what I've been doing this week. Um, Go for it. He's, he's so rude. You know what I mean? He didn't care. Like... I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, earlier today, I uh, interviewed Joanne, Joanne Randalls. Now, she is the uh, producer and director of the new Adrian Street uh, film slash documentary, which is available on most streaming platforms. Um, and it, it was a very fun interview. Uh, I find out... You know, I, you would assume someone who makes a documentary about someone so legendary, huge wrestling fan, wasn't the case. She just saw something in the story of Adrian Street and decided to, um, you know, she saw depth in it and actually a lot of beauty in it as well and was able to tell a really nice story. And um, she lets me know on the interview as well of future plans for Adrian Street uh, in, you know, with regards to the story of Adrian Street, so do tune into that interview because it's uh, it's it's very good. If you want to know, it's not given spoilers about. I mean, you can't really give spoilers about a film about someone's life. You know what happened, basically. But like, <laughs> you know, in in terms of like, you know, um, finding out what he was like in terms of finding out what he was like to work with. Um, you know, did he live up to the expectations of? what Adrian Street is in real life, all that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it's quite a fun, positive, and uh, 
motivating interview really from someone who's worked really hard to get this project off the ground in the face of you know uh, obstacles from other wrestling companies let's just say yeah i can imagine uh, this is going to be a really interesting um piece i think i can't i can't see how it couldn't be fun like I, I really hope that Adrian was a handful, especially because of the fact, like in, in a nice way, but especially because of the fact that he's working with somebody and producing a film with somebody who isn't in wrestling, if you like. So he can be as Adrian as he likes and 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 play the game and play for a mark if he wants to suppose, you know. It's brilliant. I just lo- I love the the um where where it could potentially go and I'm I'm looking forward to not only hearing the interview but to seeing the film as well when it's when it's out in a boot absolutely well um and well the film is out um i watched it oh. couldn't recommend it enough you can rent it for as little as 3.99 you can buy it for 8.99 like Incredible. you know no excuse really and there will eventually be physical releases uh but i would say don't wait until then you know wall stuck in the house because of like various reasons and it's a lot of fun like yeah highly recommended so well, yes well link to that as well very very quickly for i know that you're um going to be getting hold of one pablo and obviously i've got hold of one myself but adrian's actually got a, an action figure that people people don't realize this he's got a wonderful uh statuesque you know like a lgns it's not even that it's more like a japanese style yeah. um action figure where the arms move but it's stylized and there's a very certain word a beautiful figure um, it comes boxed, etc., and you can actually order it directly from them, where it's signed by both Adrian and Linda, um, and it's a it's it's a bargain to be fair, and it's it's available now as well. So if you're an action figure collector and you're looking for an interesting piece, I couldn't recommend that highly enough because it sits proudly on my shelf. So yeah, and and she, she did tell a funny story about how, and this wasn't a part of the interview. She said how weird it was to look in his garage when he first got those figures made and it was like an army of just little adrian <laughs> street action figures like you couldn't move for them but um they are running low and uh you know uh, the interest in adrian street sure to pick up after this and uh yeah and and the thing is as well i've got to say because uh, we don't get on it quite enough like emphasize it enough and you know I've, wrestling generally now has a smaller audience than it has in you know, maybe ever, but it has a very dedicated audience. And I think that dedicated audience is more accepting of LGBT characters and, you know, but not just characters, but also actual wrestlers uh, as well. Uh, Whereas like your larger audiences, you can watch any territory where they're using all kinds of derogatory terms from the audience, um, you know, towards wrestlers and all that kind of thing. Because gay wrestlers and LGBT wrestlers or camp wrestlers were always presented as evil and it wasn't just a love to hate thing. It was a, I just want to throw things at your head. So, you know, like... Oh, of course gen- it was. Even, even in know. the mainstream it was. is is yeah. early, as recently as the 90s and the 2000s, with whether you want to look at the likes of, um, like, Goldust, for example, yeah. um, the character that he was asked to portray, um, even subtle hints with, with teams like the Rougeaus, where the the way that they were sort of the way that they would pat each other on the back and people would boo because it was seen as more sort of effeminate, not even LGBTQ, but more of effeminate, was even booed, you know. Um, yeah. And even in the two thousands, with the likes of Billy and Chuck, they were like a heel gay tag team, and it was just, it was it's interesting that you're right that it's always been portrayed along the same lines as the evil foreigner kind of gimmick yeah. in a roundabout way. Um, strange times, and it's it's interesting how far we've come. 
Absolutely. Well, we're not talking about that uh, too much today. We are looking at Invasion of the the Funny Lads. Uh, yeah, invasion invasion of the, of the, um, the Bill Oddy Slammers. <laughs> this is the second video. <laughs> You're really pleased with that, aren't you? <laughs> it was an Alan Partridge quote. Um, is it? What? Yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a scene where... Um, so where Alan goes to the reception of the hotel, he's saying that. I'll quickly tell us. Alan goes to the the, uh, the reception of the hotel, he's saying that, to ask if there's been any phone messages for him. And they say, um, why why didn't you think this was an important one to give me? It's from uh, Bill Oddy. And they say, well, we thought it was body. Like, we didn't know who it was from. We thought it just said body. So we thought it was a bit rude. And he said, well, what's, what's rude about a body? And you just hear a voice in the background say, tits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah. Anyway, I completely bastardized the uh, the, the, yeah, the delivery of fine. that one there. But yeah, funny. Bill Oddy, anyway, invasion of the Bill Oddy slammers. <laughs> well, yeah, this uh this tape was released in June 1993. Now, this is a, a couple of tapes after uh, our last video which was Smack and Wagon. Um it was. It was. And I'm, I made a bit of a mistake because we talked about the, the Bam Bam Bigelow Earthquake match and the talk, uh, sorry, Repo Man Earthquake and the talk about how Earthquake, uh, Repo had beat Typhoon previously. And I thought that this was on this tape and it isn't. Oh. And now I can't find the tape where it was on. So I'm thinking maybe they just made it up. Do you know how they just make up little storylines in the head? Just like Grill Monsoon and Alfred Hayes especially. Like when someone like okay. Steve Lombardi would come out, you'd be like, oh, that's Steve Lombardi. He's beat many top superstars in his time, but can he get past Coco Beware? And it's just like to try and build them up just slightly, you know, yeah. like for the same video audience. So if we can find the tape with Repo Man and uh, Typhoon, we're going to have to review that very, very soon, I think. Indeed, um, no, that'd be that'd be uh, definitely worth doing if we can get a hold of it. We have to now, though, don't we? We have to find it now. We definitely have. To. <laughs> and, and this this came out about a year after uh, Invasion '92, so it's, I mean, same, you know, it includes the word invasion, but it's not like a direct, uh, you know, yearly release or whatever, like WrestleFest or anything like that. Um, they were just throwing darts at dartboards for titles at this point, I think. Um, and yeah, no, there's some uh, some pretty rare matches from some quite legendary TV tapings. There are some, uh, you know, matches that we have seen before because the tape took them from Raw and stuff like that. But um, it's hosted by Lord Alfred Hayes. And um, here we go. Well, yeah, <laughs> at least he's, I prefer the gray suit that he started wearing later on. I didn't like the burgundy suit. <laughs> If I'm going to choose, you know what I mean? I think like this was, you know, I think he looked a bit smarter in this, to be honest. But uh, we find uh, Lord Alfred Hayes obviously in a bowling alley. And um, yeah, and as, as the back of the video cover says, uh, pick up some helpful hints as Reverend Slick instructs Kamala on the finer parts of bowling. I'm going to give you a spoiler right now. I picked up no hints whatsoever on how to be a better bowler from Reverend Slick and Kamala. No, I didn't. I didn't pick up any hints. I I picked up a few things. Um, <laughs> hints weren't one of them. I'll give them a hint though. No, it's um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one because, as you say, presented predominantly by Slick. I think Slick does more sort of general chatter than Hayes does during this, compared yeah. to at least you know previous uh, nonsense that we watched Hayes involved with. Um, he's a lot more tolerable in uh, in this one he than is. he was in the previous uh, showing. 
But um, and and Slick for all he's a I I've always enjoyed Slick. I think Slick's great. I love his crack. I love his character. I do prefer him as a heel. It goes without saying. I think um, he's fun as a face, but I think he's much more suited to being a heel. Um, but also you forget how tall Slick is sometimes. Yeah. Like he's yeah. a tall he's a tall dude. Um, and I think people forget that the, the issue is just a, a bit of a short ass because he's a manager. But no, Akeem, he's, he's he's got some height on him. Like he towers above Alfred. The, this is true. Akeem once said uh, he said it on Facebook actually under his uh, his actual uh, profile name George Gray. Uh, he said that Slick for interviews always had to stand well behind whoever he was managing, or if he was if it was a camera shot in the ring, he had to stand well in front of them. So like it was like a depth of field sort of thing, so that you would look smaller in comparison. You would never see him directly stood next to whoever he was managing if he yeah. was taller than them, and it made made, made perfect sense. Um, it does indeed. I mean, I mean, you know, he, he's there and he's talking Alfred, and you get <laughs> Kamala wandering onto the shot, yelping on about Nout. Um, you know what he's like. The idea of teaching him how to ball, I think it's going to be a challenge. Well, well, we get into that, don't we? Because uh, <laughs> Slick brags about his game, the fact that he's apparently bowled um, the perfect game, which is 300 points for non he said He said he did it 27 times in he a did, row. Yeah. 27 yeah. times he's hit 300. <laughs> Kamala's scared of shoes, we find out. <laughs> so it's going to be an uphill challenge. Uh, up to the first match, really. Well, okay. So, yeah, no, there's a lot of that... Uh... We'll go back to that. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's it's more tolerable nonsense than the bushwhackers shouting nonstop. Because the thing is, though, they're shouting at the camera, whereas at least Slick is talking to Kamala. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like if you if you've got a Hangover and you're watching Wham Bam, not Wham Bam, but uh, the other one, um, <laughs> Smack and Whackham, Smack and, whack yeah. and you know if you've got Luke and Butch telling you about you know safety and all that because the thing is though like construction isn't even a, a fun hobby bowling is at least fun you know what I mean construction in a dank decrepit <laughs> dilapidated as Alfred Hayes said in in two sentences he said they were dilapidated three times uh, in Smack and Whackham <laughs> to describe the setting so when you're trying to watch that it's dark and dingy and you've got the bushwhackers shouting at you about fish and fake maths and stuff like that it, it doesn't really it's not that appealing no. bowling well, is a little is at least a better setting i suppose and it's just like what, what's going on here kamala bowling metal yep. like you know um so yeah i've got to say before we go into the first match uh it's called invasion of the body slammers on the front and back of the case there is not one wrestler doing a body slam mm-hmm. uh to tank is hip tossing um what i believe is blake beverly um, don't write me letters because you can only see the back of his head. Uh, there is someone in the front row wearing a WrestleMania 9 cap, though, which is just lovely. Um, and um, I'm all for that. And uh, there's just that picture, a little picture in the corner of, like, y- you know when, like, there's always, like, a sort of, um, like, say, Garfield and Friends, and Friends would show up in the little circle in the corner, like, waving to you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Kamala's just there, like, waving with two bowling balls. Uh, sorry, two bowling pins next to him. So it's just, like... I'd, I'm sure someone bought it specifically for this, mm-hmm. like for Kamala Bowling, but uh, yeah. So, um, if, if you didn't buy it specifically for that, um, you bought the wrong VHS because <laughs> that's what it's about. It's <laughs> And unlike, um, I've got to say as well, before we get on the back of the cover, uh, 
featuring Perfect against Flair. Now, this isn't the Raw match. This is another match, but it's just the fact that they mentioned that Flair has a match <laughs> this time. Yeah. Unlike on the back of... Uh, thing. They say Ric Flair there, but they don't say who against or whatever, and they don't really put his name prominently on the cover. On the um, text on the cover, does it say anything about... The, does it say the words retirement match at all? I'm curious to know no. how they sold it compared to what it was, because it wasn't the retirement match. It wasn't the retirement match, and I think but a lot think... of people thought it might have been... Yes, and I think I'll it be honest. Have... I'll be honest as well, I've read a review of it uh, in the past where they just assumed it was the retirement match and it's not. Oh, really? No, yeah. no it's, it's definitely not. It's um, it's a different match altogether, but we'll get onto that one. Yeah, so the main big picture on the back is Yokozuna about to sit on Earthquake's face. Uh, lovely, Earthquake's... Gives a lot of wear, unfortunately. Looking prop, proper tense. <laughs> well, that is the first match of the video as well. Now, this uh, match is from January the 25th from San Jose, California. Now, this is the day after the Royal Rumble. Uh, so, Yoko obviously coming off strong. Um, and this taping is also notable for it being uh, Tenru's, uh, one of his singles matches after the Rumble as well, because he was there for the Rumble and he's just knocking about for a bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, this is uh, Earthquake's last in-ring appearance until January 1994. Um, which is quite interesting because obviously Typhoon sticks around for quite a while after that. So they knew he was leaving. They, you know, had him split up unofficially, I guess, with Typhoon during the Rumble match, and then, yeah. uh, and then Earthquake basically gets uh, gets squashed here in like a couple of minutes. I mean, uh, Yoko's build here at his lowest typical WWF weight billing of five or five pounds mm-hmm. um, and Quake's build at 468. So Quake's um, a big lad at this point um, for his general run. He hasn't, he's not trim or anything. He's not his biggest, I don't think. I'm not sure, actually. But he's 468. But... Well, build he, at 468. He's I've build at 468. I mean, Yoko's yeah. build at 505, but Yoko's considerably wider. Like, it's got to be said. He's yeah. He's a... Quake's a big specimen. Yoko's a big, big specimen, even in comparison to Quake. Yeah, and and something interesting as well is that Bobby Heenan does reference Earthquake's sumo past, which is good because it, it adds a bit of gravitas to the whole thing. And I've got to say as well that having one single announced team throughout the entire video really helps. And the fact that they say this video is Invasion of the Body Slammer, so it's like yeah. an event. You know what I mean? And they even tell you what's coming up next, all that kind of thing. And it, it really helps. And I mean, this is coming off Mania 9. And I think the the announced team of Heenan Savage and uh, Jim Ross obviously made a very good impression on Vince uh, to the point where he was like, right, let's have them doing these tapes as well. And uh, it does. It adds a lot of energy to it. And it, it, Jim Ross actually calls matches and moves which you yeah, know yeah. didn't really happen um a lot and also when Heenan the Savage okay they have their confrontations and everything but Jim Ross is good at pulling them away from that when the action picks up but also I would say as a commentary team he ups their game a little bit in terms of actually getting involved in the match oh absolutely yeah yeah I think I think Jim is a very good um player by player basically He's um for that team, if you like, you know what I mean. He can call what's going on in the ring, and he's good at it. Whereas Savage, Savage just goes off on tangents about absolutely out as as he generally does, which is fine when you've got the likes of GR to sort of bring it back on track. Um, Brain's there to play the part of the one getting bullied and come away with the com- with the comedy. Yeah, you know. I think Savage at one point says uh, something like, "I wouldn't put my money on Yoko or Earthquake." 
<laughs> it's Battle of the Titans. And then Brian says, well, what would you put your money on? And Savage says, on me? Aha. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and Brian says, you've backed a winner then. And then Savage just responds, I'm riding the wave. <laughs> what are you on about? <laughs> I love this. Savage. Yeah, I'm riding a wave on right? Yoko or Earthquake. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> helpful, um, helpful uh, uh, betting tips there. I'll tell you what, do you want to know some interesting little snippets about oh, Earthquake's, uh, your, earthquakes um, sumo career? Because as you please. brought it up there. Because it was, it's an interesting thing, as you said yourself there. You've got, and obviously, sorry, before getting to it, we, um, we're, for those who've seen it or those who haven't seen it, please check out the Earthquake versus Yokozuna sumo wrestling match that took place on Raw. Yeah. Because I thought that that was bloody wonderful to see something like that. It's a proper nice nod of the not of the cap there to um to earthquake and his historic career and obviously all you know also more than anything else the the character that yokozuna is portraying yokozuna never obviously ever being a, a sumo in real life just playing the character of one um after them not going with the idea of a third head shrinker for him whereas quake was a very successful sumo wrestler yeah so you know, as well, before I mention about Quake there, Yokozuna, do you know that whole sort of um, leg thing that he does where he stretches his leg out to put it down? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the leg lift that he does at the very beginning there where he stretches and all and he sticks his bum to the ground. Yeah. Uh, he does it at the beginning of every every match that he has, basically. Um, it's it's called a shiko. It's like a leg lift. It's a stretch that sumos do. And on, tip, on, on average, a pro sumo does between 100 to 300 of them a day. It's almost like doing squats, but for sumos. So if ever, anybody's ever wondered what that is, it's that. He's, he's mm. doing what, what is legitimately a real-life uh, sumo wrestling stretch. Uh, oh, for, for But Quake, anyway, some fantastic little snippets here I hope people will appreciate, is that the way that, the way that um, sumo wrestling works, you've got different divisions. It's like if you can imagine a pyramid, you all sumo start at the very bottom. And they work the way up those um they work the way up those um those ranks, if you like, until eventually reaching the pinnacle, the very very point at the top, which is the the Yokozuna. And you do that by winning tournaments and then judges decide on who has the right to go up to the next to the next uh, bracket, if you like, to 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 wrestle in the next division. Mm. So much like football, you you know, you start down at the sort of um the Greg's conference window league and you work your way up to the premiership it's of similar ilk to that to an extent so you, you start off with a, I believe it's the John Akuchi division and then you work your way up to the Johnny Dan division the Sandanime division and you work your way up all the way through I think there's nine divisions before you reach Yokozuna what's interesting is that Tenta didn't stick around for the for very long to be honest with you he started off in the in the Janakuchi division and had a had a record of seven wins and zero losses in that entry division wow he moved up then to the Johnny Dan division he had a win record of seven and zero again before moving up to the Sandanime division which he won seven and zero of his fights he had a total win record of 24 and 0 did John Tent and then he basically got himself up to the the, the Makashita division without yeah. losing a match. And I believe there's only uh, out of the current crop of Yokozunas in Japan, none of them have ever had that win record. Wow, isn't it crazy? He's when, like, still in the record books at the moment. Yeah, it, it's just crazy that like companies couldn't find things to do for him. It's insane. Like, it's, he walked it, away from there because of the fact that do you know one of the one of the reasons apparently why he walked away from sumo. 
You know he had the big tiger tattoo in his arm? Yeah. Well, tattoos are obviously a taboo subject in Japan because it's strongly linked with uh, the Yakuza and Mafia over there. If you've got a tattoo, you can't, for example, go into um, into swimming pools and things like that. You're not really allowed to go into public bathing areas and, and whatnot. You've, you're meant to keep them covered up at all times. For him to keep the prestige, they wanted him to have his tattoo removed via laser. Um, which he agreed to do in order to stay in that profession. But then he learned just before the tattoo removal that the guy removing the tattoo had never removed a tattoo in his life. (laughs) So he said, nah, you're all right. I've had enough now. I'm off. And that was that. He just left. Uh, That's how John Tenter left left Japan to... uh, to get into professional wrestling it was because he was on an absolutely incredible winning streak he could have made and uh, you know he could have made his fortune easily and his fame in sumo wrestling but walked away from it for something as random as that and then did what he did in the professional wrestling world it makes it even worse when bischoff convinced him to change his tiger into a shark and uh you know <sighs> then, you found, then you found out what happened with that but uh yeah so, any well, the fact so, that he's 24 and all yeah anyway i wanted to say that because of the the idea that you had a legitimate sumo wrestler being john tenter going up against the characterized version of a sumo wrestler being yokozuna very interesting so yoko i mean he destroys earthquake in he uh, does, three, three the, minutes and 40 seconds yeah it's um it's they were putting over Yoko, basically. So um, we skipped to uh, the Nasty Boys against the Beverly Brothers. Now, the jarring thing about this is that they come out uh, to in the primetime wrestling set, which was long gone by this point. To be fair, Earthquake was long gone by this point, uh, which shows you how long it takes to put some of these videos together. Um, I'll tell you, jump onto there just very quickly. One thing that was said by Savage at the very end of that, mm-hmm. and Brain. Brain said, when was the last time that you saw Earthquake pinned? And Savage says, I've never seen, seen him pinned ever. Now, Warrior pins Earthquake on fan favourites, I believe yeah. it is. Duggan pins Earthquake at WrestleFest 91, and that's all I could find in terms of televised matches. Interestingly, though, in June and July of 91, everybody had a go. Like, Jake Roberts pinned Quake, um, Tornado pinned Quake, Brett, Valentine, Neidhart, all pinned Earthquake in June of J- July of 1991, but non-televised matches. Um, but he was only ever pinned on video that i know of twice by warrior and by duggan that probably it, sounds about right i mean the closest thing to yeah. that was when dbrc put him to sleep yeah uh, that's to right yeah. The tag belts um, there's a few disqualifications and a few count outs and things like that but in terms of being pinned they were bang on their money it was very 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 rare to get pinned so not only are they going with a big what was a big monster not only are they going with somebody who was legitimately a sumo wrestler, they're going with somebody who never really got pinned ever. So they're really, really feeding them to Yoko here in three minutes and 40 seconds, yeah. getting pinned. Un- unreal, really, when you look at it in that perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the the Nasty Boys, Beverly Brothers, they come out to in the primetime wrestling set. So it was for, I believe this was Ed at the time, um, as is evident by the, the double disqualification uh, finish because if it was for a house show they wouldn't have really done that kind of thing and yeah. it was a six minute 47 uh thing as well i mean you know it there's i guess there's not really much to say about this because like by the time the tape came out the nasties and beverly's were both on the way out like the yeah. nasties were kind of you know they were getting that kind of push when they turned face and they were going to face money at mania nine but yeah. storyline wise, they gave up their position. I mean, mental, but like they gave up the position. So um, the 
the Mega Maniacs could uh, take over. I mean, it's it's kind of this is partly why I, I you know I find this time period of say Survivor Series '92 to Mania Nine very interesting because so many things changed. Yeah, and and the thing is when you see the Yoko Earthquake match, which there's something, it, it sounds crazy to me, but even the lighting in the arena looked different in 93, mm-hmm. and you can tell a 1993 match to a 1992 match just oh, by the lighting easy. in the arena. I um, agree fully. And I don't know, I, I don't know what they did. They might have got a new lighting rig or something like that. It's it's really crazy, but there's just, even though it's the same ring with the same blue apron, with the same colourful WWF backdrop with the, the neon lights and everything, you can just tell. And um, even, you know, Earthquake and Yoko were both there in 92, but you can just tell that it's a 93 match. So, yeah, this, it, it just feels like a TV taping match to me. And it just, I, I, there's nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's your average match of the time. You I, know? Thought was, I thought it was recent. I thought it was uh, relatively decent. Sorry. I thought it was, yeah. for what it was, it wasn't anything negative about it. It was, it was, it was a decent match. I mean, I've never really got the appeal of Face Nasty Boys personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some of my friends when I was younger were big Nasty Boys fans after they turned, but it, they didn't do it for me. I, I was I was much more interested in watching faces go against them because they just seemed like the nasty thug team. Like that's what they were. They were like thugs. They didn't look any different. They looked exactly the same. They still came across like thugs. They still rubbed people's faces in their armpits and still stank and were the dreg punks of society kind of thing. So why it was just you know what I mean? I just I just felt that they were still heels really i never got the 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 appeal for them as faces um but this both was... both were great i mean they were both both fantastic teams and i think people forget how good they were as tag teams nasties could go people just think they were scrappers but the way they were but the beverly's man like the i always found them very very highly underrated and i felt they were they were unfortunate to be donned with that with the gimmick that they had, I suppose they were fun to look at. The colours were fun, but they didn't really do anything for them. Whereas I thought they were actually a very good wrestling tag team. I um, think that I think that's the problem, though. That like for a WWF audience, if you don't have a reason to dislike that, I mean, the the fact that they didn't have the genius by that point didn't help. Yeah, um, agreed. Yeah, and I think that night as well. You know, it's a, it's a prime time taping. You know it. it it's one of those things where the crowd, even though it's a short match, I mean, there's only only so many screwy finishes you can put up with in a night and all that kind of thing. Um, do you and- think the lighting thing that you brought up before, do you think it was different maybe as a way to help um, take the focal point away from dwindling live crowds and stuff? Like if the, the lighting was different so that it didn't um, enhance the lack of, potentially empty seats in the arenas and things like that compared to obviously the massive booms of 92 uh where everything it's, was jam-packed it's kind of weird because if anything i think that the shows in 93 looked brighter well than, maybe, but maybe it was just maybe the maybe the lighting was specific on the ring though rather than mm. everywhere i don't know it's true it's difficult but i know what you're saying you can definitely tell the difference it is kind of i mean you know judging just going by the next match, Undertaker and Razor, where on the previous video I guessed the arena based on the stairs. Um, you know, yeah. like I, I, I sort of take notice of this random shite, basically. So, like, this is from the same TV taping that one of the matches from uh, from Smack and Wacken was uh, the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio, which is why King of the Ring '93. This is why I know it so well. Yeah. Um, 
And it's uh, Undertaker against Razor Ramon. Now, this match has been on uh, free separate Coliseum video exclusives. Now, you know, the previous tape, this one, and we will find whatever tape the other match is on because I'm sure it's like the third in the series sort of thing. I don't think this was on purpose. Um, Rampage 92, I believe. Was it Rampage 92? See, that'll have been the first one. So, um, you know, and this is from November the 24th, 1992. Um, And it's... There's a couple of matches on this tape where you kind of start getting into them and then someone runs away or gets disqualified or counted out. And I think that was, the I mean, it's the general critique of the Coliseum videos, especially as you get older sort of thing, because you want to really enjoy them. Um, but unfortunately, you know, because the thing is, we talked about this last time, that Undertaker finally has a big lad to work with who's agile and is a good character and, you know that can resonate with the audience and stuff like that, because he was heavy in his feud with Nails at that point. Um, this or match, just, honestly... Sorry, sorry, carry on, mate, but... Oh, no, no, no. Well, you know, he was he was either in the feud with Nails or he was just about to get into it. And, yeah. um, you know, this was... You can't pin Razor early on, especially when you're building them up for the title match again at the Rumble, and it makes no sense to beat The Undertaker. So it's kind of one of those... You book yourself into a corner. Yeah. And then, well, you, you do, know... It's, you do. And what's interesting, though, with the way <laughs> interesting you should say the words booking yourself into the corner there, because the start of this match has been booked exactly the same way as their previous encounters, as their other encounters, where it starts off exactly the same way as Smack and Whackham, with a bit of cat and mouse between the two, where Taker chases Razor in his way that he does around the ring. Razor gets back in. As Taker's getting in, Razor starts selling the boots, and it's exactly the same start. Yeah. And I, I thought, did actually. It's going to be match for match. Like, well, it's going to be move for move. I did think I'd, like, that I should go back and watch uh, Smack and Whackham in case it was the f- actual same match. Um, it was different because of the attires that they were wearing. Razor was wearing <laughs> different clothes. Um, he was wearing purple last time, wasn't he? He was wearing purple last time, and I believe it was red and... Uh, sorry, he's black and gold this time, I believe it was. I might be wrong. I can't remember now. But it was definitely different. It definitely wasn't purple. Yeah. Um, but it did, in terms of the match itself, it was... It was all right. It was still another... It was just a five-minute match. Razor buggers off again for another count-out, like exactly the same in Smack and Whackham. And funnily enough, uh, in the September 92 Rampage match, uh, Rampage 92 match, it's a double count-out on that. So it's like... It's it's the same... Pretty much the same offering on three different... Um, <laughs> three different tips. That's keep, the as you I've... say, to keep Razor from not getting pinned that early on, and obviously you don't want to be jobbing Taker to, to you... a newcomer. So it's it's the only way to do it, and it makes you think, well, what's the point then? Like, yeah. um, well, I genuinely think that it was stuff stuff like this that led to the downfall of Coliseum Video, mm-hmm. um, especially if you look at like the videos from ninety five, ninety six, and ninety seven when they really were just match... Com- I mean, there were match compilations, but, I mean, there was one greatest superstar entrances, and I thought it was going to be, like, music videos with music and stuff. No, it's just literally them walking to the ring. Yeah. Um, or there was, like, best of free-for-all and stuff like that. I think this is the very start of them getting a bit potentially lazy. Well, with- look at it this way. You've had, you've had the, you've had, we've had three matches. One match finishes at three and a half minutes as a squash. Yeah. The second match finishes as a as a double DQ. It's just over six minutes, and then the next match that we're talking about here is a count is a count out at five minutes. It's like, right, okay, really short matches, and two of them have been through either DQs or count outs. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's come on, give us a bit more than this. 
Well, we, we do get a bit more going we on through the tape, which is good. So, and the thing is, though, like I say, you know, I feel like start it with an undercard and then build up. So they kind of have done that, if that is their thinking. So we're moving on to Typhoon against Bam Bam Bigelow. Now, Ooh, this was... Well, taped... I love this on paper. I love yeah. It on paper. And you know what? I, I actually really enjoyed this match for... I thought it was great. Two big lads. So January the 5th, 1993, from San Antonio, Texas. Now, the one thing notable about this is how quickly they move. Um, to start with, you know, they, they actually get the crowd up and I thought it was going to be a bit of a slow, you know, Bam Bam's perfectly capable as is Typhoon, but when you've got two big lads going against each other, it's hard to maybe get that chemistry sometimes, but they were, they were in sync with each other and, you know, it was an entertaining, fast moving match where, you know, I love that Typhoon captures Bam Bam when he goes for the body press and he drives him down with that slam as well. And it's like, just a shows the strength big time because because again they're two massive lads. Yeah, and and but, just uh, just a bit more stuff like that I think would really help. You know what I mean? Just something memorable from the matches, even if it's just a move. And you know, Typhoon goes for another slam as well. And um, you know, again, not a long match, but a very you know, I mean, it goes on for nearly eight minutes to be fair, but it's it's action packed. It's, sol- it's a solid match. Bam Bam yeah. hits a suplex on Typhoon at one point. He does. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Savage tried his hardest not to put the match over at the very beginning, like, uh, by by claiming it could be the surest match, not in WWF history, <laughs> but uh, of big men uh, clashing against one another. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, but Savage, Savage was oh, good no. at starting a, a sentence really well and then not knowing how to end that sentence. So, But the thing is, like, you wouldn't just end it, he would keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Brian ended it perfectly for him, though, by just saying, I can't believe having a face like Typhoon. <laughs> <laughs> can't oh. a face like Typhoon. Just, just the way he just rolled off his tongue was just beautiful. Like, but, imagine the idea but, of having a face like Typhoon. He said a beauty as well, actually, in the last match that I, I, need, to, I need to quickly mention because it, it was a beauty, just a throwaway comment. Mm-hmm. He said, the nasty boys are better looking than Mike McGurk. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said he, he was better looking than Mike McGurk as well, <laughs> At one point, oh, he, he didn't like my <laughs> but um, just, so, yeah. no, I thought it was a solid match, man. Really, really good. Bam Bam catches him off the top rope with the headbutt because Typhoon went for a second splash, didn't he? He got greedy, so to speak. Uh, missed, missed his uh second splash, and um, Bam Bam climbed for the top rope for the for the headbutt and got the win in minutes. You know what? Possibly my match of the tape. Um, it's got to be up there, it has got to be up there. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, uh, it's what everyone's been waiting for. Uh, Repo Cam, yeah. Oh. I didn't realize that this was on this video because Repo was long gone by this point. I actually thought it was genuinely on an older video um, from like 92. Um, but no, it's on Invasion of the Body Summers. Now, right, okay, because I know you've got a lot to say about this. <laughs> so uh, he plays it so well. The Repo Man character. It's so ridiculous because he's in his ring gear, but he's also sneaking about in plain daylight and all that kind of thing. And the one thing that I really loved from this that would have been hilarious is when near the end, when he goes into the video shop um, and he's like, right, I want you to start playing some Repo Man's greatest hits. And she puts it on, but it's not matches. It's just him nicking two cars. And (laughs) what would have been great, though, is if the third bit of that tape was him then going into a video shop, getting someone else to put on it, and it was just like have it be this matrix of yeah, like yeah, just yeah. him, 
just put on tasting, just put like a slinky going down the stairs, like in like in a circle. That painting that we mentioned last time, the stairs. I'm about Philistine. Yeah, um, I am a Philistine. Um, but yeah, no, that would be <laughs> hilarious. So yeah, um, so yeah, go on and go. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get in, I know that me and you've chatted about this, and I know that you've already put the question to uh, Tom Buchanan. Uh, because <laughs> long time WWF photographer. Indeed, indeed he is, and we wanted to know uh, who's the man behind the camera because it obviously starts off as there's some dude filming his um, RV camper van thing with his wife and his kid there baby there and they're about to film like a holiday experience kind of thing you know they're, hey, we're about to go on holiday repo man comes up and says i'm gonna steal your camera i'm gonna steal your caravan i'm gonna steal your car- camera well in fact you can keep your camera if you agree to come with the repo man today and film me on my daily routine of exploits what i love though <laughs> is he said oh, i was gonna do it anyway so <laughs> Like you had to do it for Coliseum, and it's like, well, how are you going to do it if there's no cameras about? Like that's mental. You would have had to have gone to the camera, the the, the video, the VHS shop at the end, wouldn't he, to put the tape in? So we'd have found a way. <laughs> but he's honest, man. He's in fully invested in this character, or what? Um, yeah. We don't know yet who the person behind the camera is. I'm sure we'll find out. In fact, it's probably the question I'm going to ask Barry Darso in the Q and A for the love of wrestling. I'm sure he won't remember, but I want to know who it is. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> So we're at the point now where um, where they're running about and and the guy's agreed to, in order to keep his camera, he's going to film Repo Man for the day, running around, stealing cars and, and whatnot, while Repo Man shouts nonsense at him as he does so. The first thing we get to is um, a car park. Um, funnily enough, we're in Frenzo in California. Fresno. You can tell. Uh, Fresno, sorry, yes. Frenzo. Frenzo. <laughs> The friend zone, uh, Fresno in California, because it's at the, um, the car is park at the Salas is Arena. It the night, is it the night of Rumble 93, then? I'm wondering that, you know. I'm wondering if it oh, is. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Fresno, right, okay. Sacramento was Rumble 93. Ah. Fresno was, what event did Fresno at the Salas Arena? 96 Rumble, and they, they didn't jump Definitely wasn't for three that. years ahead. No, <laughs> well, you never know what WWF, the way that they record uh, Coliseum home videos, <laughs> the time lapses. But, um, yeah, it's in, it's in, in, in uh, Fresno anyway. And um, what's interesting, well, well, before we get into the weird little factoid of bollocks that I've come up with, um, Repo Man does, in fact, steal a car. He he does, in fact, steal a Cadillac. And it's uh, Bill Alfonso who was uh, stood there. <laughs> uh, hey, man, he, he's the guy who gets carjacked. He gets pulled out of his car. That he's, I'm going to phone the police. Uh, as Repo Man jumps into the Cadillac and, and speeds off and then stops to let the cameraman back in. You took my damn car, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so if, you had a, if you had a whistle, you would have, you know... You would... <laughs> You'd have got the attention of the police a lot quicker. Um, but what's interesting about um, Fresno is... <laughs> Go on. What's what's in, are you are you got the Fresno brochure of activities to do? I've got an interesting. I've got an interesting uh, factoid for you. Um, was it that Royal Rumble '96 was held there three years later? It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> but considering Repo Man's doing a lot of carjackings, Fresno actually had the highest crime rate. And <laughs> had a right, forty okay. out of every one thousand residents had either a violent or, or property crime against them, and which which works out as in terms of residents, one in twenty five. <laughs> one in twenty five people had a carjacking or a car theft. Um, and in nineteen ninety three, yeah. the rate of carjackings and car theft in Fresno was six times higher than the national <laughs> average. Can you believe it? Can you get right. your head around well, that? 
Rebo, you know, he was... He, he was, was on the ball. He got to Fresno. <laughs> because he knew, oh, well, if I, I want to steal a car, I'm just going to blend in. It can just be another one in 25. We've got less chance of being caught because of how rampant the carjackings are. So they were on it. They were on it. They knew what they were doing. And, and there was, yeah, yeah. They were on it. They knew Brilliant. what they were doing. I mean, um, this has become like our own Coliseum feature now every time. Right? It's like Foxy's <laughs> facts, you know what I mean? Like just... Calorie counts and carjacking statistics. Mm. <laughs> um, Rico then uh, goes on to steal a BMX of uh, Alex Far- Fargus. Fargus, I believe it is. Um, who is... <laughs> I didn't write his name down. <laughs> Alex Fargus, uh, whose dad was late with payments. Um, I did try and type in Alex Fargus to find out who Alex Fargus was. <laughs> right. He doesn't exist, unfortunately, but I'm sure could be maybe dead. Barry Darso might know. <laughs> could be dead. <laughs> he might be. Who knows? He might be on BMX shop these days. We don't know. We've got no idea. He might be a he might be a um a deep sea diver. We we don't know. We don't know. He might so, be a champ he might be a champion BMXer. He might be. He might be. He might be he might be a thief. <laughs> He might be the next incarnation of Doink. We don't know. There you go. No idea. There is somebody called Alex Fargus who is an amateur wrestler, interestingly enough. Oh, see, here's the... Well, have you been watching... Did you watch SmackDown last week? The What they call the Retribution or something? It could be him. It could well be. He could be playing all of them. We don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know. They could be using that cinematic stuff that you don't like to portray several characters in the ring at the same time, mm-hmm. each of them played by Alex Fargus. Hey, didn't bring me into this. I'll bring you right into it, you. I'll, I'll st- all I'm saying, all I'm saying with Repo Cam is that they, you know, it makes sense because he took the camera. But like, what happened then? Because he's committing crimes, but Coliseum Coliseum was just like, oh, we'll have your tape. Go on, we'll put it on. Like, why not? Like, he didn't. He didn't mind because he, he himself put it on in the video shop. You got a kick out of him, man. And this is this is like <laughs> this. This is like a um, a fetish more than it is a, a like a a hobby. It's more yeah. of a. Fe- it's not. It's more than a job. It's just a fetish for him. He's just laughing his tits off all the time as he does everything. Um, after he nicked that bike, it's the way that he re- rides down the street with that. With that cloak, that that big cape that he's got, he's caught wafting in the wind as he's riding this kid's BMX down the street. Is one of the best scenes of this VHS for me. As he's heckling, it's almost like the Wicked Witch on the the what you call the Wizard of Oz when she's flying away around the around the whirlwind with her on a broom. It's got something about that. It doesn't, obviously, but um, no, no. Use your imagination, kids. Oh man, I just uh, absolutely loved. This is one of my favorite things. Like as well as the Yokozuna eating food this is one of the best things WWF have ever knocked out um, as you that's say that's quite a bold claim that it's, it's, it, it's up there okay. <laughs> he then goes to the video store um, and there's only one way he'll um, he, there's only one way he won't take over and repossess and be, and claim ownership of the video store and that's if they play his best of free poor man of course, of course. VHS yeah. um, but Whilst they're setting up the VHS, he decides to go and nick another car <laughs> this time. In fact, he nicks two. No, because... see, I've, I thought that the VHS was him nicking cars. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. It could well, but that would explain why. Because he nicks two cars in a row. He does. And, and he cuts back to him in the shop. garage and he pinches yeah. some reason that woman does one of the best screeches ever. Like, it's just mm. like, it's, it's wonderful. It sounds like, it does sound like a cow has died. 
it's it's mad but interestingly he's wearing a different coat he's wearing he's not wearing his repo man with the black lettering he's wearing his repo man with the multicolored lettering like license plate style lettering that's the one um, that they made the classic superstar figure out of as well right. and yeah. so is his vest underneath is it his original full vest not the one he went to with like the the where you can see his like the chest, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I think it was all the way up to his neck. Yeah, I can't remember see, now. After I check. feel then that these were probably original vignettes from back in the day that they've compiled together to use from like ninety one. Yeah, honestly, probably. that's what. I, yeah. I have to double check that now. I can't remember where the where the cutaway was on his neck. Uh, but it was the. Uh, <laughs> it see, was these are the, the kind of details sport. that you want, though. Tune into the next yeah. episode to find out. Like we'll, you know. we'll have all the facts for you. Um, <laughs> But he booted in the last car as well. He obviously did that wonderful launching kick to the window and uh, that thrust kick and put the window out and nicked the car and hotwired it. And um, and then he steals the guy's camcorder and says, "Well, I'll be taking this anyway. Thanks for your help. I'm off ski." <laughs> and that was that. That was repo cam. Absolutely friggin' mint. I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. Good. No. Wonderful. I mean, you. I'm guessing. I think these pictures kind of came out recently but if you watched that one episode of wwf mania from 1993 as of course we all have um the 1993 repo man gear of the almost like zebra print with the full mask have you you must have seen this yeah yeah, yeah. he's got the full mask on yeah it's like, like a luchador style mask with his uh with the more watch... very much lighter as you say a zebra skin-esque yeah, it's like a singlet, cat, isn't it? Like a my singlet. cat's just coming in my cat agrees um yep yeah. um so she uh, uh, Repo Man by that point, I don't think he wanted to wear that gear because he was not into the gimmick at that point. No. Um, but yeah, no good shame because it was wonderful. We all love Repo Man, yes. Anyway, so moving on, mm-hmm. um, April 29th, 1992. Now, this is a weird one, and this kind of always, uh, this, even as a kid, this kind of took me out of the tape a little bit. I know it's Brett Michaels, but when it's something massively out of the timeline of what's yeah. going on at the time. It feels too weird for me. Like, Brett was already WWF champion by this point, and then the commentators have to pretend that, one, Sherry is still a heel, and, two, that Brett is in a continental champion. And uh, this is from the War Memorial in Syracuse, New York, where I believe the first in your house was. Um, And the match ended up on the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels Rivals uh, DVD, that terrible attempt at a shoot interview. One yeah. where they put like every Bret and Michaels match. Well, not every Bret and Michaels match, but the um, yeah. And does do I sound like a bit of a heathen when I say like all Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels Coliseum video matches, apart from the ladder match, all blend into one? At this Even point? the ladder match does to an extent. Like, uh-huh. like uh, the the addition of the ladder was literally the the only difference. They they are very very similar. It's very. They're the, the good matches for what they are, but once you've seen a couple, you've pretty much seen. Them, you've seen for the house show, for the house show matches. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but I suppose that's kind of the you know the way for any for the vast vast majority of house shows, isn't it? It's getting there, do your bits, get out. Um, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, Savage sets the scene straight away with look at sensational Sherry. I think she might have a cold because her chest is swollen. <laughs> Thanks, Randy, you twat. Um, <laughs> but after that, it's like it's yeah, it's it's. It's a decent match. It's a good match. It's a solid match. It's what nine minutes roughly. Mm. Um, they all hit. They, they hit 
the spots you'd expect him to hit in this kind of match. Hitman with his second rope turnbuckle. One thing he did though, when he climbed up that turnbuckle, and I didn't like this. <laughs> I will say, climbed up that set. You know the second rope uh, turnbuckle spot where he drops the elbow, like he you know goes down onto his knees to the elbow to the opponent's head. Yeah. If you know. And as he was climbing up there, he looked outside to Sherry at the floor, and he spat in her face. Oh wow! Okay, That's I from notice. face Hitman. Yeah, yeah, he spat at Sherry. Um, <laughs> So in a roundabout way, I'm I'm glad she uh, was was partly the reason for him becoming distracted later on and losing the bout. <laughs> a lost by count out, which by I mean, it, to be honest as well, it's one of those they obviously have plans for Sean. Um, yeah. I mean, this is April, so it's fresh in Sean's heel run at that point. And Brett had only just won the belt from Piper like a week before, or uh, or maybe a couple of weeks before WrestleMania. So it's kind of one of those book yourself into a corner kind of thing. And I prefer this to the later Survivor Series match largely because of Sherry, the Survivor yes. Series 92 match. Yes. Like, um, Sherry added, you know, the, the Sean Brett match of Survivor Series 92, it was, and again, it, this is why I find this time period so fascinating, but they had to experiment with new things. And I don't think the pay-per-view, WWF pay-per-view, was ready for Brett and Sean at, as a main event at that point. They were, I mean, you, you talked about this last time with regards to the flair. People were used to your Hogan's, your Sid, your big lads for your main events. And, you know, they looked more like main events. And Brett, your Brett, your Sean's, etc., really had to work hard to change the perception of what Absolutely. a main event in WWF could be. And, um, yeah, and this match is good. But again... It's a solid not, match. It's a solid yeah. match. It's 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 you know it's. I'm not going like, to I'm not going to slag off the world's two greatest wrestlers. You know what no, I mean? I think it's. I think what it is though, mate. It's just the fact that we are now what? Um, is that four matches in? Is it the fourth or fifth match? I can't even remember now. I think it's the fourth. Yeah. The fourth match in, and it's the third third dodgy finish. Out of four, we've only had finish. four. We've only had one. Hang on, no, we haven't. We had. We had. No, the Yoko match wasn't a dodgy finish. It was just in three minutes. It was a three-minute squash. Yeah. Um, and then we had the obvious, the, the 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 proper match, if you like, between Typhoon and Bam Bam, where there was a legitimate pin there. But we've this is so this must be the fifth match because we had Razor, then we had the Razor Taker match, which was a countout. We had the double DQ for the tag team match, and now we're getting another countout. Yeah. Uh, so the out one of five, thing... it's the third. It's the third sketchy finish, which I'm just the... like, oh god. The one thing I'd say as well that would have helped is if they, for me, if they'd have changed the match order and if yeah. the commentators would have done a better job. Because um, they do it, and this is the only time I've ever seen them do it on a tape ever, where the, um, we're going to get onto Kamala against Doink next, but during the Undertaker Papa Shango match, they're like up next, 16 man battle royal. If from the very first match, they'll be like, this tape is main evented by Sean and Brett and, you know, perfect and flair, build it up yeah. on every match. You know what I mean? I, I think this was the problem with with this particular match as well, because they didn't, as you say, it's sort of timeline. So it was not like it was crucial to put over a current feud to even add this match. They could have yeah. gone for something more recent and relevant. Um, it's it's not like they were backed into the corner by having to show this match. If you see what I'm saying, or oh, we need to get this match on the tape. Or they didn't, if that, do they didn't need they... to. So then they've got they've gone for a match with another false finish. Oh, oh, if nothing else, they could have done what they did on the very, very early American uh, video releases where they're like, this is our classic match. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, Just yeah, to, yeah, absolutely. Because um, uh, you don't... It, 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 I found it always, like, insulting my intelligence when you had 
some like Jim Ross commentating on a match that he wasn't there for at the time and having to pretend things happened, or yeah, yeah. even worse, Bobby Heenan commentating not just on matches that he's already commentated on before, but matches where you actually see him at ringside commentating on it the first time yeah. round. You know, Absolutely. and um, so anyway, yeah, no. So as you say, there's no 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 title change there to count out. Sean punches the ref. They claim he's probably going to get a suspension or a fine or something, and Brett comes in to make, well, not to make the save as such, but just to get a bit of revenge by uh, twatting Sean with his title and uh, gives him a bit of a slap just to kind of, you know, look strong after losing. So, yeah. nine-minute so, match, canny enough. From that, we go to possibly the newest match on the tape. Um, Kamala with Slick against Doink the Clown. Yeah, give me Doink. Indeed. Give me Doink all the time. So February Proper Doink as well. Proper Doink. Absolutely. Absolutely. San Diego, California. They were in California a lot during this time. Um, February the 16th. Now, the match that a lot of people probably know is the Kamala Doink from the Raw or from the UK Rampage. So they were doing this a fair bit at this point. And this is still relatively early Doink because you just... um, I believe you just attacked Crush at that point. And... um, you know, they were building up to Mania 9 and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. it was kind of... Kamala was good fodder for Doink because Doink was able to outsmart his character easily. So it was a, it was a simple story to tell. But yeah, it, simple. It, and it, it, it worked a treat as well. Yeah. It, it, it did work. My The one thing I've not... Matt Bourne is brilliant. Like, not just as the Doink character, but he could adapt his wrestling style more than a lot of wrestlers that I've seen to different wrestlers. Because when, say, your IRSs who are perfectly capable, etc., they limit their style to suit the character. Whereas Dunk's literal character was, he was a mental clown, but he was a great wrestler. That was his character. And if you see him against Typhoon on a Raw and stuff like that, you know, and against his Kamala... Um, again, with this match against Kamala, he, he tricks him with the present, all that kind of thing, to get the upper hand. But he immediately goes for the takedowns and the headlocks and keeps him on the floor. And it's a bit of wrestling, yeah. like on, on, on a wrestling tape. Can you imagine it? You know what I mean? And he takes Kamala to school as he should. And Absolutely. Then, it's done you know, wonderfully. It's done really, really wonderfully. It's like, and it's the fact that he keeps going back to the sort of, to, to the basics as well. Like, um, oh, Kamala's getting the upper hand. Let's offer them the present again. That'll yep. distract him. Using little techniques like that, which, you know, obvious things, but really good that he keeps going back to them. It's not just a throwaway one-off thing just to get something in it. It's used as the story. Little thing. He brings the box down straight away. What's inside the box? Everybody wants to know what's inside the box. Savage won't leave it alone. He's Savage is losing the plot about the fact that there's a box. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's shiny, and I think Savage had taken some good uh Well, it's shiny. He's like, why isn't that one of my hats? Why is that not my outfit? What is that? There's a shiny object that isn't part of my apparel. It's like a seagull, basically. <laughs> He's a magpie. He's a magpie, yeah. <laughs> He's a magpie. Oh, oh God. man. Um, so Savage, I'm shiny really, object. I'm really getting into this match because I love Doink, and then... A friggin' count out at three minutes and 21 Because <laughs> <laughs> we needed another one. We did need a false finish by now. We hadn't had one in six minutes. Um, it's it's uh, what I do love, though. I do love if any match deserves a count out, it's this one because of how it's just a throwaway fun match. And I don't mind that this match has the count out if you it like. It shouldn't have been so short, though. Like, oh, yeah, you agree. It could have gone for a bit longer. Yeah. Um, the whole idea that Kamala chases um, Doink outside the ring. Don't gives eventually gives in the box. Just like take it, man, take it, don't it? It's just take the bloody box. You can have it. You can have it. I won't wind you up. Have the box. Kamala eventually falls victim to taking it after protests from Sling. Don't take the box. 
Kamala takes the box because, of course, he does. He's a Ugandan giant who's still learning how to bowl. What else is he going to do? Um, he takes the box, starts to open it. There's nothing inside the box. Mm, There's a plug like all along. Kamala it's a, it's a metaphor for his uh, promises from Vince for his face run. Just nothing. It really is. <laughs> it really is. It's, yeah. it's an empty box. He starts to cry and get upset. Doink's laughing his tits off because it's the best <laughs> prank it's pulled this week. Um, Kamala gets in the ring, batters Doink and then chases him to the back. But yeah, three minutes 20, count out. Brilliant. Like The fact that Doink's outsmarted Kamala by eventually giving him the present. He got so distracted by opening the present, he gets counted out. I just love it. I just lo- I'm, yeah. I'm more than happy with, with that. It, it maybe didn't even need to be that much longer than three minutes 20, but it's the fact that we've... We could have gone back to something happening with that, where he's chasing him backstage or something. Yeah, you know, like well, another note. Don could have showed you up know. in the bowling alley or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, like as a janitor sweep, like you know, <laughs> something. It could have been anything that they wanted to do, but I just um, love Doink. I, I, I mean, as we all do, original Doink. Uh, you know, every match could be a Doink match, and I would be happy with that pretty much. Yeah. But um, so yeah, Real Doink is a great, great character, Absolutely. especially portrayed by Matt Matt Bourne. Brilliant. Wonderful. So yeah, moving on. Undertaker versus Papa Shango. Now, something very, very interesting about this match is um, it's December the fourteenth, nineteen ninety-two, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, if that uh, date sticks out in your mind, it, it bloody well should, because that is the TV taping when Nails uh, got fired for attacking Vince McMahon. Indeed. Uh, so Papa Shango was filling in for a bit of Nails uh, matches um, at this point. So I'm guessing that match that night could have been against Nails. And it would have been a very different, uh, very different thing altogether. Now, bear in mind, I mean, December 14th, okay, this came out a lot later than that, but the January 93 magazine, because they were going to go full ahead, full steam ahead with Undertaker against Nails, the front cover of the magazine was Undertaker Nails. And, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of like, oh, do we need to show this magazine on TV yeah. now? You know what I mean? And because um, by all accounts, it was going to be Nails Undertaker at Mania 9. And I can imagine that. Um, you know, because they were going full steam ahead. Whether it would it would have been what it was, but Nails was over as a heel, and people don't seem to realize that. If you watch any of the fan cam house shows with Nails during that time against the Undertaker as well, or against Brett or whatever, Nails is massively over as a heel. Um, he really is. He really yeah. is. Um, saying that, mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed Shango as a worker. Like even back yeah. then you could see you could see um the Supreme Fighting Machine style of, of of wrestling from 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 Charles Wright. Like he was going for it. He was he was a good fighter, if you know what I mean. He wasn't just like somebody who relied on a couple of wizardry, you know, portions and nonsense. And it's quite interesting you say you could stand in for nails there because at least he had he still had time to get the prop like <laughs> sorted out with the, ex- the explosion stick. Savage tell me what it was, brain brain i don't know some kind of explosion Haley's comet <laughs> brilliant i mean excellent the fact that this is that, that, you know it's brilliant that the whole voodoo stick if people don't worry about um shango what? picks up his, his his um voodoo stick turns it around lightning bolt big explosion yeah. into into and it, and like it's, it's basically like sort of sparklers from it a, looks impressive though it's very I mean, impressive it's, it's it ridiculous goes bang but... in his face man like it, yeah. it, it, you know it, it's it's not like a Oh, there's a sparkle and Undertaker pretends to be here. It 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 shoots at him and <laughs> it hits him almost like a firework. Uh, but it's great. But it's what's great about this as well, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will probably know this, but just to point out as well, 
Shango or Charles Wright and Taker are good mates. Yeah. Like at this point, they were part of uh, the BSK, the Bourne Street Crew Motorbike Club. This is probably officially pre-BSK. It might be before. I mean, yeah, probably. Well, because like you're going to just come in and it will be a bit before that. Yeah. Um, it will be a bit before that. They're they're probably still knocking about riding bikes. Oh yeah. Stuff. I mean, Yoko was the official leader. Did you? I didn't realize that at first. I thought there was. I thought it was Taker, but Yoko was apparently the original official leader of that motorbike crew, and then and Undertaker was his second in command. I, I didn't, didn't know, know. that. Yeah. Um, and then things obviously happen. Um, but no, I mean, obviously as well. There's another little nod to the cap of this particular match or feud or whatever you want to call this this uh, pairing going forward of Shango and Taker that Charles Wright has also said on on a uh, shoot interviews and whatnot in the past that he was originally penciled in to to make a return before he came back as the Godfather, he was going to be returning as the half-brother of The Undertaker. Mm. Um, and we never knew what guys he would take to be coming. He was basically going to be what we now know as Kane, but we didn't, not necessarily the, look the same, not necessarily the same story, but he was going to be coming back as Undertaker's half-brother of some description. And we've seen them obviously the updated Papa Shango character designs that we saw. So you never know. He could have been coming back as Papa Shango in that new guys that we've seen those images of where it's more, you know, the, the, the different face paint and the different attire of Papa Shango. Yeah. Could have been returning as that Shango character to become the half brother of the undertaker that were in life, which I think would have been a nuts, but incredible journey to go down. Um, and but, you know, yeah. you know who designed his face paint as well? For the oh, second, Jerry Lawler. Oh, was it Jerry? Was it? Mm-hmm. Um, Which, very, 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 very more cartoony version, in my opinion, of what he originally had. Like, um, but, but fun nonetheless. You know, an interesting character. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, shame we never got to see it. But at the same time, if we did get to see, it, we ne- might never have got Kane in that incredible debut and that initial year of feud and that him and Taker had. So amazing. Anyway, a fun match. Um, Shango, interestingly, his, his mouth got bloodied in the first two or three minutes of the match. Um, I, did, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he had a burst oh. lip and um, bleeding. It was when they went to the outside, there was a close-up on his face. Um, but yeah, interesting interesting match. And uh, Taker got the pin there in six minutes and 30-ish. Yeah, and one... one match. At one, least it's a pin. <laughs> that is true. Well, I'm, I'm get, I mean, Shango was... After Warrior, Shango was kind of it was a slow, long departure at that point. Um, you know, the the Warrior feud had I mean it was ridiculous, but you, that's when he was casting the spells and all that kind of stuff. And then they um referenced that Shango had cast a spell on Brett to lose yes. the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam ninety two, but it was something that was never properly followed. He got a world title shot against Brett. And yeah. I think his last T V match was uh against Brett Actually, in June of 93, he was around yeah. for a, a little while after that. But after the Warrior feud, there wasn't much going on for Shango, which I thought was a bit of a shame. He was kind of winning some matches, losing some matches sort of thing. And um, one interesting uh, quote from Savage during this match is that we might see The Undertaker's first loss. <laughs> now, The Undertaker wow. had lost, you know, he'd already been champion and had lost it at that point. So <laughs> Savage is just off his nut at that point. Well, do you know when you said about like uh, Quake and never, you know, I don't think Savage knew that. I think he was literally just making enough stuff off the top of his head. He was close. He He just wasn't right. Blind Squirrel Finds a Nut comes to mind with uh, Savage's facts. So, yeah, no. Shit at wall. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, moving on. 
Well, yeah. very, very quickly, one last thing there, because just, just while it's in me, um, in me head to do so, because we mentioned BSK there, mm-hmm. um, out of all of those members that you had, like Yoko, Taker, Godwins, Savio, Shango, Crush, uh, Rikishi, Paul Bear, and Fuji, mm-hmm. Rikishi obviously being uh, Fatu back then, um, Fatu was the only one not to get the BSK tattoo for that crew, you know. That's all the others had a BSK or still have a BSK tattoo um, in remembrance of that motorbike crew who we know were kind of like the um, the the opposition, if you like, to the clique that was forming back then. And or the voice of reason, not letting things get out of hand. So they like to be seen as um, the opposition of the clique backstage. But yeah, out of all those members, Rikishi was the only one not to get the BSK tattoo, which I found quite amusing. That is that's very especially when one of them is is, is Yoko Zuna as a sumo wrestler. Uh, I'm sorry, mate, but you're getting a tattoo, and John Tenta had to leave sumo wrestling because he had a tattoo. <laughs> I smell, I smell fishiness going on there, like yeah. And, and we're going to remember as well. Duke the Dumpster Drossy was also a part of that as well, and he has really? he's I, be- was, yeah. I believe he said that the the woolly hats were his idea, um, and he was the mm-hmm. only and he wore them to the ring as did Fatu. Uh, during these make a change uh, yeah. gimmick, um, but I'm sure Duke, like again, because we'll be we'll be doing more with Duke Jersey going oh, forward. Yes. Yeah. Um, that you know we'll have to clear that up because we've never really talked about BSK, but uh, we would definitely will going forward. So up next, the 16 man battle royal, and now this was from the February 15th episode of Monday Night Raw. So yeah. I'm not entirely sure why they thought they should put this on here because I don't know what's like purpose it serves but you could say that about it. I think it was only just so they could use it so they could create an intro for Colosseum video <laughs> yeah this is the intro for the video yeah the only reason for this match <laughs> um the right it's listed as a 16 man battle royal but there's only 15 in the ring now at the yeah. time the commentators do make reference that uh on the road that Gonzalez wanted to be in it but the, all the other wrestlers were like nah if he's going to be in it we're, we're not going to be a part <laughs> yeah. of it um, putting over Gonzalez, you know, um, so they, they actually mentioned this on the video as well. Um, and it, it, it is what it is. We're not going to go through every elimination, but uh, participants include Tata- I'm going to do Vince at the start of Rumble videos now Tatanka, El yeah. Matador, Typhoon, Kamala, Bob Backlund, Owen Hart, Coco Beware, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, The Berserker, Terry Taylor, Skinner, Damien Demento, Kim Shee, and Iron Mike Sharp. Of course um, it was. You're going to have some people who are going to get eliminated early on. So one thing... In- <laughs> yeah, Mike Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing interesting... I mean, the, the fun thing about this is... Uh, it Because it, um, the kimchi thing, I don't know why they kept him around so bloody long, to be honest. But the Kamala gets eliminated by kimchi, and then Kamala starts chasing him around the building, basically. Now, you don't get all of that on this. Um, yeah, but you just got a snippet of him going through it, the crowd, don't you? Yeah, it continues that storyline sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so basically it gets down to, uh, is it Tita? No, it's Tatanka. No, it's Santana. Santana, Reza, and um, and Tatanka, the three of them. Yeah, HBK. Um, well, Tatanka and Tito teamed up to get rid of HBK. So he went out. Building up, building up Mania Night was as yeah, well. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was the 12th elimination. Um, and then, as you were saying, sorry. Somebody makes an appearance. Well, Razor gets thrown out the ring, so you kind of forget he's in the match. And um, then Gonzalez comes out, clears house, and uh, then Razor rolls back in the ring and wins it in the in a really screwy heel way, but a way that works for 
you know, screwy heel Razor Ramon. Like he's sly, he will take it however he can get it. Well, he's he's been uh, he's quite happy to walk away from matches if he thinks he's getting his head kicked in, as we saw with the Undertaker. Um, he doesn't mind. He's, he's quite happy to walk away when it suits him and to and to get what he can when it wins. It's as you said. It's if you see any of um, Razor's early vignettes as well, like when he's walking along the, the promenade and going into the juice shops and the fruit shops and stuff like that, and just his character to a T. It suits it perfectly. Um, big man, but still at the same time a coward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Gonzalez comes in, as you see, he gets rid of Tatanka, he gets rid of Tito, and then interestingly, he steps over the top rope himself. So he does, if 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 in fact it is deemed that he is legally in the match, he <laughs> does eliminate himself uh, by stepping over the top rope. And as you say, Rosa comes back in. Um, put you on the spot now. Go on. Who had the most success in that match other than Razor? Who had the most eliminations? Oh, Go good Lord. Um, I would have to... I'm, I swear I'm not uh, I'm not cheating. I just have to look at the list of who's in it. Um, I'm gonna guess. I mean, Shawn Michaels would make the most sense just based on name value. So I'm gonna go with Shawn. Well, Shawn eliminated two people. He eliminated Coco early in the match, and he eliminated Typhoon as well. Um, but the actual there was a few people with two. Um, but the actual person who eliminated the most people with the total eliminations of three people was uh, Kamala. Well, what a good lad. I mean, he is learning the ball, so you've got to give him <laughs> some, some points. This is his tape, basically. It's his tape, like, it's the Kamala tape. He's like a kid at a birthday party. He's like, it's his party, so you can eliminate who you want to. And he did get a present of Doink, to be He fair. did get a present, there you go, and it got nothing in, so, you well, know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Razor, Razor Ramon wins in 30 minutes. Quite a short uh, battle royal. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a one hour show. Well, no, it's a 45 minute Monday Night Raw. So I, you know, yeah, squeeze it uh, in. Squeeze it in. <laughs> um, Rob Bartlett on commentary and you know at ringside, you do see him there. You know, um, thankfully it's only 13 minutes then. If seen, okay. seen but not heard. You know. Um, <laughs> So uh, up next, and again, this is like the kind of mentalness of this tape. It's just like you've already had an Intercontinental title match. You've had a Battle Royal, which would normally main event a lot of tapes, all that kind of thing. In between the last match and that, to tank a repo man, of course. Yeah, uh, of course. From uh, actually originally broadcast on the 92 Survivor Series Showdown, which I believe yep. is on the network separately as well. Uh, obviously, new commentary for this. And um, the, the Showdown shows were great because, I mean, they were specials, but they were also... The primetime specials on USA, weren't it? Yeah, well, there were, no, there were no job... There were no jobber matches uh, yeah. for these. It was always a big name who was going to be on the show against someone who wasn't going to be on the show but also had a name. So Tatanka Repo. Uh, something notable about this, Tatanka has his hair tied back. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of like how like Million Dollar Corporation Tatanka. Um, this, to me, is the epitome of a 1992 undercard match. Well, it definitely is. What's interesting about this, right? I mean, it's a clean pin. Tatanka dominates Repo Man throughout. Can I say, before you go on, though, it's a clean pin, but he doesn't beat him with his finisher. No, he doesn't. You're right. He doesn't. He doesn't. It's a pin, though. It's not a count-out or a DQ, I suppose. We we get something. (laughs) (laughs) At least we've got something. Biggest can't be choosers at this point. Like, (laughs) this many matches into the the tape. Uh Um, Seven minutes, 40, long match. Um, now, what's interesting is about that particular card, right? So, the, the, the card that, that, that originally comes from that, that primetime special. I'm going to read this out to you, right? So, Tatanka, on that, on that card at that time, 
These are the televised matches. Tatanka defeats Repo Man. Marty Jannetty defeats Brooklyn Brawler. Kamala defeats Red Tyler. Mm-hmm. Earthquake defeats IRS. Big Boss Man defeats Barry Horowitz. And the Head Shrinkers defeat that tag team combination of Red Fox and Royce Royal. Oh. That's a special. <laughs> the dark matches that weren't televised. Oh, right. Okay. Before you get oh, into this. Oh, my goodness. Before you get into this, because they, they did just put the entire unedited. I know they have. So I know they have. I remember doing a review on the showdown. We met thinking that these showdowns are usually good, but that one was shite. <laughs> that one was absolutely shite, but the dark the yeah. dark matches of this card, yeah. it, it makes you go, what? How did they uh, and these didn't? Uh, the dark matches were Nails defeated Big Boss Man, mm-hmm. Bret Hart the champion. Understand- well, they're understandable why that one wouldn't air since the building of Survivor Series, I've got to say. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But, well, but still, though, like, don't have it then. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, like, they, they okay. also defeated Big Boss Man. Yeah. Bret Hart, champion, defeated the Mountie. Mm-hmm. Virgil defeated Bam Bam Bigelow by DQ. Razor Ramon defeated Randy Savage. Bret Hart, champion again. He's, he's playing double fiddle tonight. Uh, defeated Papa Shango. And Ultimate Warrior defeated Nails. So Nails yeah. the second run out. Um... They were your dark matches, um, but no, it was obviously it made more sense. Let's be honest, it did make more sense to go with um, the Head Shrinkers versus Red Fox and Royce. <laughs> well, the thing is, as well, there's one um, picture that's been around for years, and the the notable footage collectors such as Richard Land uh, have been looking for the Warrior Nails match for a very, very, very long time. So when they finally put it up, it was like, oh wow, it's a thirty second match. Yeah, you know, but it makes sense because Nils has already had a match earlier that night and stuff like that. And uh, but this one is also notable for Jimmy Garvin's um, interview with Gene Oakland. And now this is the thing that blew my mind because no one knew ever who at the start of the WrestleMania song went, "Are you ready for the Survivor Series?" It was Jimmy Garvin, and was- my eyes exploded out of me ass basically it was like that i was i couldn't believe it um <laughs> i couldn't believe it um and yeah no so and this was jimmy garvin's one and only appearance on wwf not even television it just wasn't used yeah. uh he was kind of used to kind of build up the crowd and then he turned heel on them a little bit and uh this is why I miss hidden gems on the network so much. They need oh. to get back into doing some of that. If they want to keep people's custom, um, start. Is that, dig- is that card still on there as it speaks, or they removed it, it now? It, no, no, no. Hidden gems are still there. It's still there uh, at the moment. Right. So, so go, if, anybody who's listening, go and watch it because you get to see all of that undercard, uh, or the dark matches, sorry. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, um, we were meant to be talking about to tank a repo. <laughs> we were. Well, it's part of it. It's part of that card. No, 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 no. Uh, context isn't it but, uh, you know it made sense for them to pick that to put on this but there we go seven minutes for you to tank uh, uh in my opinion pretty much dominated repo man throughout uh repo man hasn't really uh, really had a very good innings tonight uh considering <laughs> such as an amazing dignity and and you know uh and well, a nine minute sort of uh repo man special with repo camera however long it was but um yeah it was no, another no. solid match solid seven minute match bit of a squash for Tatanka there good good fun though do you know who I'm almost certain is the referee for this match? Oh, go on. Bill Alfonso. Oh, it is. I think he's right. You know, Alfonso uh, <laughs> is he's definitely the referee, I believe, for the next match we're about to talk about. Oh, well, um, that, might, that might be it then. Yeah, might um, be wrong. I th- that's how I've remembered it. 
So, yes, main event time, January the 4th, 1993 from Beaumont, Texas. Now, this is where the confusion comes in, because this match is advertised and hyped on commentary, by the way, um, as the Loser Leaves WF match. Now, that match was on WrestleFest 93, which we will get to at some point. And very different e- match. Very different match, and I think even that commentary wasn't the original Raw commentary. I could be wrong on that. Uh, don't write me letters. Uh, but uh, this is a dark match from a wrestling challenge tape. And now this, to me, is perfect hidden gems kind of match. Like any Flair 93 matches, I'm kind of always intrigued by because it, it was right at the end of yeah. his run. Um, it's kind of like, to me, like any perfect 1992 matches because he didn't have many because it was right at the end of the year. Um, so it was kind of like that little crossover of time sort of thing. So, um, yeah, no, a, a match perfectly suited to main event a video. Yeah, um, it was, it was, you're right. And and my favourite match of the of the VHS, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and rightly so. I mean, it's a great match. Um, I know, obviously, these two um, arguably were putting on far more spectacles, if you like, more, more main event fodder matches. Um, however, I just really, I, I thought it was, it was a fun match, a fun 11 minute match. It was, it was good. It was a proper match. Yeah. Y- you needed a payoff like this on a video, which has been full of shite. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> in terms of at least screwy finishes and symbolics yeah. endings to matches, we've, we've had vast, the, the most matches that we've watched, the vast majority of them have been under six minutes long. Um, and at least half of the card has been a by a count out or a DQ of sorts. So it's nice to, which is really, man, it's, it's, it's set of the time, isn't it? It is of the time, that, that kind of thing. But you got your way to, to get hold of a VHS at the time to watch and you can't wait. And then after, after the cards of shit finishes. Or come on, nice bowling to, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Putting up with the bowling alley stuff. And then it's nice to get a couple of actually good top tier quality match matches on card at least on paper at least anyway and this was you know it's in my opinion it's, it's definitely better and, and more fun for me to watch than the hbk brett match was which was the other big match of the vhs if you want to look at it that way the other main event if you like um for me this wasn't was one better. this wasn't one of a million perfect flare matches you know yes, what i mean you're right it there was something so, else to it. yeah um and of course it's because it's it's one of these things that like a lot of these tapes because I've had we've had these tapes in our collections for like twenty to thirty years now, and things change as you get older and you start appreciating different things and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong, I love nineteen ninety three to death, but like some of the Coliseum, like the links and the vignettes, can be hard watches, and then it makes you kind of at the same time go, ah, then I am a, a more of a wrestling fan than I thought because I'm actually really excited about Perfect and yeah. Flynn and a real main event. It's, um, it's funny as well because even though we're classing this as a main event, this was just a dark match of a challenge. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 great fun. It's like, you know, they, they go at it. It's really, really fun. It's it's what you want it to be between these two. They, they both go for it. They don't hold anything back. No. Considering it is a dark match. Um, the face slaps, the storytelling's wonderful for what it is. It's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't go overboard. It's nothing too, too kitsch. They're, um, they're, they're slapping each other across the face. The the chops to the chest. They're working on the leg. Um, everything. It's just really fun. Um, and F- Flair perfectly selling it, as, as you'd expect. Per- perfect selling the, the, his damaged leg as well, hopping around vast majority of the match as well. Just, again, considering it's a dark match, it's not a main event at a big event. Yeah. It's, they, they, they both really uh, go for it and, and do brilliantly. And 
Um, wow, a, a clean finish <laughs> with a with a finishing move. I've got to say as well because, like, when I watch some of these Coliseum video matches, I get a bit worried that the crowd are just not into it. But you find that they are genuinely interested in the match because you yeah. see them pop at the end. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, and it's time, like the, this was before. So Mr. Perfect, by the way, listeners, I know we haven't mentioned that point yet, but Mr. Perfect gets the win here yes. <laughs> with the perfect place. That's why. Oh won. yeah, Flair, <laughs> Flair wasn't going to be winning any uh, matches in '93 <laughs> on his way <laughs> out. You chance. know what I mean? Right. Um, so you know, and this was really before like chants in WWF started happening. Yeah. Like the first time I really remember chants was for Brett. Go Brett, go. There wasn't really like the Hogan chat. It was actual cheering and stuff. I mean, I could be wrong. I could, you know, that that could be just me forgetting. Um, but chants just didn't seem that big of a thing. There was clapping and there was stamping and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, they they were into the match and they gave it the reaction that it deserved. One once Perfect won the match and Perfect was insanely over. Um, Flair wasn't actually, you know, it was great and everything, but Flair didn't seem to be full on cocky, arrogant Flair for me. He knew on he was this, off. he knew he was off, didn't he? Like he knew he was gone. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Like he, as you, as you said, he, he was doing the job for his mate. Um, mm-hmm. Flair. Um, but Bet, yeah, good Bet, match. Flair, 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 Flair. 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 It'll be fair to Flair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Heenan interestingly as well was bigging up both wrestlers during this. Yeah. Um, he was he was saying that he was talking about the, the positives of both guys. Like he wasn't just like pro flair anti perfect. He was um, applauding the qualities of both wrestlers. But yeah, perfect gets the win with a perfect plex. Um, Heenan, Heenan reacts as if it was the career ending match. <laughs> yeah, he does to be fair. Yeah. Um, um, and that pretty yeah. much wraps up the actual. Wrestling footage, that's that done. It hovers back to the bowling alley where Slick's <laughs> gutted about Kamala, about the fact that he didn't like his shoes, he didn't understand what a ball was, as we pointed out earlier on. He's scared of a ball. At one point, he does take the ball and then does that war dance run down the down the, uh, down the <laughs> bowling alley, down the, down the lane, where, running down with his ball and ball. Um, he and throws the backwards comes, one time as well. He throws the backwards one, yeah. I, was, I, I misremembered it and thought he dropped it on Alfred's foot at one point, but that didn't happen. A shame, unfortunately, <laughs> that it didn't. Uh-huh. Um, and then he uh, he gets a strike and they all celebrate and that's that. And a conveniently off, yeah, a conveniently off-camera strike. Um, you know, we missed it. We'll, you know, you had to be there at the time, I guess. Slick, um, by the way, did ball a strike. Like, he did? He, he showed you on camera. There was another one that was a cutaway, so we don't know, because he did ball two strikes. One of them was a cutaway, which might not have been him. But the other one was caught. Don't know how many times it took for him to do it, but it was just, <laughs> he got a strike nonetheless, and he, and, you know, it showed him doing it in real footage, so to speak. But yeah, um, overall, what do you make of this? This, uh, this uh, VHS. I generally enjoyed it more than um the smack and whack and video yeah. uh because it, it seemed a bit more action-packed to me like i think you know don't get us wrong love the, it, I, I hate to feel that i'm getting too old for like long vignettes of like repo man and stuff you know what i mean like it I depends feel... how it's done it depends how it's done because yeah. what, I, I, what i'll agree with you there is i think both of these videos the pro points for them, the 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 repo cam I thought was fantastic, and the Yoko Zuna eat uh, meal for the single man was um, 
dining with a single man or whatever it was was um was fantastic the storyline the long storyboard one that goes throughout they were both shite let's be honest they were both crap for what they were the, the kamala one was at least a bit more funny a bit more humorous and slicks a much better character to be talking for that many segments kamala's you know humorous value for what for what that character was doing in a bowling alley and all that. This was at least a bit more. It was more tolerable. It was more more interesting. But with the, with Cam and with the um with the equals and the single man, if they were if they were the links throughout the video, you yeah. know what I mean. Like if it was like back to Yoko and Fuji, and he's still eating. Like that's yeah. got, you, you know you what I mean. Need, you didn't need another feature thing. You didn't need two. This was the thing. Each video yeah. so far has had two things like two <laughs> stories going on that you don't need the repo man one was brilliant which could easily have been the one all the way through the eating for the single man was brilliant because the cutaways are clearly there you could yeah. have had the cutaways there it um, could have been a five minute vignette in itself instead of like all throughout the tape sort of like i i've got to say the one thing because i much prefer basically with these coliseum videos when it's either shown it sounds a bit like um lifeless but i prefer sean mooney or gene oakland behind a desk or you know what i mean or todd pettengill in the studio like a host you know what i mean i don't yeah, want, yeah, yeah. i don't I, want I, the matches to be after thoughts basically no, completely i want them yeah. to go back to the studio and them to, to to recap and talk about what happened there or just to give something about it yeah um but then have like a, a five minute vignette of um repo cam or something like that as an additional feature a special feature um, but as you say, going back to Mooney or Jean in the studio after each match, who will recap it and then break you into the next match rather than it just being Alfred Hayes. Well, on to um, The Undertaker now against the handsome Latin Razor Ramon. <laughs> oh, what are you doing with that ball, Kamala? Oh, and then. <laughs> uh, uh, it kind of takes away the importance of any of the wrestling matches. They become an afterthought, as you said. And yeah. Raise her amount. It's like, all right. Like a milk tree advert. Like, yeah, yeah, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. But um, so, well, that was that. It was interesting. It was a good crack. Um, I think it was on par match wise with Smack and Whackham. I didn't think that, you know, there was, uh, it was still a lot of shite. Uh, a couple of decent bouts for, I think the Bam Bam Typhoon was a highlight. That was a surprising uh, highlight. I've got to it say, it was a surprise. It's probably why it's more of a highlight than others. It was the it was an undercard match that actually surpassed expectation, and it was good, and it was a proper finish of sorts. Um, and I think the um, the other good match of the night was was Flair Perfect. Brett Not- and Sean was all right. It wasn't yeah. bad. Uh, the Tanker Squash was all right. It wasn't bad. The Yokozuna Earthquake match. I felt I was massively um, disheartened with that because. I, it was a squash for Yoko. I wish that it would have been that that match for me could have been longer. Earthquake could have got more in um, to make it more of a spectacle of, of two big guys, a proper clash of Titans and Yoko still looking strong and getting the win. Uh, considering Quake has been a monster for years, mm. you know, he's, you know, it was only a couple of years ago. He was headlining with Hogan kind of thing. It's it's and he's been tag champions and all you know he's been a big big name to to job him out in three and a half minutes and I'm getting out in was a bit right okay why put uh, it on the tape you know what I mean like but at the same time it, yeah. it makes Yoko look strong you know um so they so, could have done that with anybody though that's the other thing that's the thing and ah oh, no but I, I'm, 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 I'm a mark for you beat, <laughs> no no I, I totally get it but I, like I get like you beat your biggest threat you know what I mean it was like Yoko eliminating Quake from the Rumble as well it just yeah, yeah. they were 
pushing Yoko to the moon, as was evident. You know, too though. Like, yeah, I mean, they did, they, they did the sumo match as well. They could have done a little bit more with them both. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know the the new big man going against the old timer big man, the passing of the mantle of the big men, so to speak. Um, but he, he debuted in what was it ninety. Eighty-nine, but I mean, three years is nothing now. When you look at the context of like your Randy Orton's and your Brock Lesnar's and all that kind of thing, it's crazy the impact. Yeah, jobbed from he came in monster push straight away. Um, There or thereabouts, tag team champions, always on top of the tag division, fighting upper mid carders to main eventers throughout. On his way out, yes, job to quit, a job to Yoko, absolutely. Three minutes was a bit uh, right. Okay, I think they could have done more with that. Personally, that was the letdown for me of the card because I just wanted more from it. Everything else was just fodder. It was all right. Um, as we said, there, Brett Michaels was a porn star, but Brett Hart versus Shawn Michaels, however, <laughs> was, um, uh, it was an all. It was okay for what it was. It was a bit of a. It was a standard match from their ongoing feud of. You know, matches that they had. Both, well, both again, match. Though, good match. Before, before we wrap there, up, though, it, it really is when you, there's like a jarring change in production types. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I know that's probably what you shouldn't be basing things on, but like I always found if you have a full Madison Square Garden card from 89 or whatever, brilliant. But when you say WrestleFest, whatever, or Super Tape Free or something, you've got some brightly lit arena with Jake against Perfect or something, then they cut to an, a Madison Square Garden show where it's just dark lights, just dim. You know what I mean? Like, it kind of, it, it's a contrast that if you're going to do it, emphasise it a bit and explain, oh, this is from Madison Square Garden and stuff like that. You know, if you were a kid watching it at the time, you're like, oh, this is a grim-looking arena. It's Madison Square Garden, and it's really important. But it, it's just... You know, I feel things like that do genuinely lose your younger audience with like out just a little bit of context. Um, but anyway, so we should we should wrap up because we're trying to beat our record of um, smack and mic. But um, what do you finish yourself? I think so. Go on, go on, mate. Well, I was gonna say, what does everyone else think? Because we're basically we're not rating the Brett Michaels and Michaels match in our top matches of this tape. No. Is that controversial? What do you think? It's there on the network. Let us know what you thought of the tape. Please um, do. I've got a bit of homework very, very quickly for our listeners as well. I want them to do some digging, and yourself included, here, Pablo. Mm-hmm. We still haven't to this day found out who eliminated Bob Backlund or Terry Taylor from the Royal Run- from the Battle Royal. Because whilst um, <laughs> Kamala's chasing Kim Chi around the arena, it cuts back to the ring. Both those two guys have been eliminated, but there's no reference as to who's eliminated them. They evaporated into thin air. They did. I think they did. I think the idea... They knew what was coming. They knew that <laughs> Gonzalez was coming. So they go, I'm getting out of here, like... Um, but no, we don't know. So if anybody can do any digging or get in touch to say is who it was... Even, is this not even on the Raw? I don't know. Well, okay, we'll find out who did it. But well, there you go. Go and research the raw to whoever's listening. Get back to us with some comments because next, uh, this tape doesn't clarify it. <laughs> I wonder if they got any complaints at the time about that. But from All people from like me, me. yeah, <laughs> I, I was watching. I was watching Invasion of the Bunny Summers, and uh, I would like to make the following complaints. Why, that why, why would your cameras focus on Kim Chi out of all people running away when there was two eliminations to take check of? One of them being former WWF champion Bob Backlund <laughs> and Rufa, Bob Backlund. Um, but yeah, well, on that also, uh, <laughs> on that bombshell, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll catch you all very soon. Check out our other um, 
review in this core video 1990s run of reviews being smack and whackum. Um, I'm sure we've definitely hyped it up enough for you tonight that you really can't wait to go and check that one out. <laughs> but um, we'll be bringing many, many more. And we will catch you all very, very soon. Good night. Bye.